Ebb and flow inspires persistence and determination during the rhythmical patterns of decline and regrowth in life. Each episode, I bring on an inspiring and influential voices who are here to help us stand strong and walk through the ebb moments of life and propel us to the peak of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so we can live our life in the flow, individually and collectively. This includes strategies, habits, routines, focus tricks, questions, and much more that we can use to live our life in the best way in order to maximize our service to others. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're as excited for the Ebb and Flow podcast as I am, but to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe now on any stream, check out YouTube, or visit SolomonEzra.com to learn more. Ich bin Zurich aus Deutschland. And I'm here to share with you another episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast. On today's episode, I have a good friend for over a year now, A.D. Burgida. Similar to a painter having a palette with various paint colors, A.D. is a massage therapist with many techniques to help heal her clients, one being craniosacral therapy. On today's show, you'll hear A.D. share her journey of self-discovery and how it guided her to become a massage therapist for over 20 years. When we begin to learn how powerful our mind is, and we pay attention to everything we feed it, from the foods we eat, the breaths we take, and the thoughts we have, we learn that all of that enhances or diminishes the way we feel emotionally, spiritually, and also how connected we feel to the world. With gentle touch and massage, AD talks about how health and wellness is available to us at our fingertips. I hope you enjoy today's episode and take some time to think about your own painter's palette and what colors or skills you can develop to create your own painting of helping others. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and share these episodes. I really enjoy hearing and reading them. Take care and off either Zane. Let's dig in a little bit. I, you know, you helped out a lot with uh, helping me relieve some different tension that I had in the back of my neck and my head. And I wanted to hear from you a little bit of an introduction about yourself, how you grew up, how did you get into craniosacral therapy? And let's start there. Okay, gosh, okay. So um, I grew up in the Caribbean. I was born in Puerto Rico and raised in Barbados. Um, and how I got into cranios, and I moved to the United States in 1997. Um, and that's when I came to Houston and I've been in, I've had my business for about the last 20 years. It's called Kavana Healing Arts Spa. And, and Kavana for anybody means intention in Hebrew. Yes. Cause when I was trying to decide on the name of my business, I wanted, to, I was trying to think of what differentiates me and what I do from other people who have received same or similar education for myself or do, you know, market services similar to mine. And I decided that it was my intention that, you know, that made what I, you know, do different. So um, yes, yeah, so then Kavana was born, but I actually started massaging a long time before that. I started massaging when I was about nine years old. Um, so I was really little when I discovered massage as a tool for, um, for wellness. So living in Barbados, their medicine was good, but not, you know, it's not medicine like you have here in the United States. And I had hyperthyroid illness. I had Graves' disease that went undiagnosed from the age of about nine to the age of 21. It went totally undiagnosed. And so no doctor ever checked me for thyroid disease, 
but I definitely felt sick and my mother never knew what to do with this. She was like, on one hand, the doctor is telling her that nothing's wrong with me. On the other hand, I'm like, well, I know that I don't feel well, so what can I, you know, so I don't know what's going on with me, but I had decided that I needed to advocate for myself. And one of the ways that I did that was to come up with self-care strategies at the age of nine. At the age of nine? At the age of nine, I came up with self-care strategies. And by the time I was 11, I really kind of honed quite a little program for myself. And by the time I was 16, like I was like wow. well into it. That's and really impressive. That's such an early like age. It's really, really early, but it was like, it was either, you know, I listened to my mom and I'm making all of, you know, the doctor and I'm making all of this up or something seriously wrong with me and, and I'm going to trust myself. And so in order to figure that out, I had to, you know, in order to figure out how to help myself, I, you know, it took me a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And so I started, yeah. So I started with breath work is where I started. And I, mean, I discovered at, that at the age of nine, what did you tell like your, like your parents? Like they, they weren't like, that's, that's absurd. Stop that. Like stop, like meaning the breath work. Well, like when you're like, Hey mom, I'm going to try some breath work and heal myself at the age of nine. Like what is a, what does a parent really say to that? That's really interesting. My so dad, parents, my dad would probably be like, get the hell out of here. So my parents thought I was a little nuts. <laughs> they did. My parents did definitely think I was a little nuts. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew what I discovered one day is that when I took long, deep breaths, it was kind of like a process of self-discovery. I discovered that when I took long, deep breaths, I felt significantly better. And so one of the symptoms that you have with hyperthyroid illness is um, you have elevated heart rate and anxiety and all these different things that are not because you're feeling anxious because there's an anxious, you know, an anxiety, you know, driven situation in your life. Yeah. It's that chemically you have, um, you know, chemicals in your body that are making you feel anxious. So anyway, I found that deep breathing made me feel better. And so I started exploring and experimenting with my breath. It was fascinating. It was crazy. It was crazy. And it was so powerful what I was able to achieve through breath work. And so only when I became a teenager did I discover that what I was doing was meditation. Um, so I was doing breath work and meditation. And I little by little started noticing how breath work and meditation improved my, my sense of well-being and improved my symptoms. Like I could actually manage my symptoms all through breath work. And that I really discovered the mind-body connection through that process. Like I discovered how powerful the mind is when it comes to bodily functions, mm -hmm. to mood, to emotions, that how that this body that we have, as integrated as it is with our being, is really a machine that we have a lot of a lot of control. Not full control, but we have a lot of control over it. Mm -hmm. And what we feed that machine, everything from the breath that we take to the food that we give it to the thoughts that we have, all of that, every single one of those components um, enhances our, our, the way we feel, you know, both health-wise, again, emotionally, spiritually, and how connected we feel to the rest of the world. So, it's, so, I, so I started with breath work. I ended up you know, exploring sleep and nutrition and herbs and essential but oils. Continue, I, I, I just, I want to emphasize and love, I love how you said this is all at the age of nine. So I wanted to ask like a quick input question. Who were you learning from at such an early age? Like where they weren't teaching that in your school. Cause I mean, we're working yeah. on putting that in schools nowadays. So. It's all me, all me. Working it was like, up reading. 
Yeah. Wow. It was all me. It was all me. It was like, I, rem I even remember the night that it happened <laughs> when I discovered it. I was lying in bed and I was going nuts. And my mom decided, you know, because again, I, as I said, one of the symptoms is that it elevates of hyperthyroid disease is that it elevates your heart rate and it creates a sense of anxiety. And so I couldn't sleep at night. So my mom had said, you know, we can get you some sleeping medication. I'm like, even at that age, like the vibration, like I was so sensitive, even at that age, like even before I even tried, I think I took maybe one tablet and I was like, not for me. But even before I tried, I was like, no, this is not for me. The vibration of this is so off. And so I remember I was like, okay, do you have to go to sleep? You're either going to go to sleep or you're going to die from, you know, from not sleeping. So I just lay in bed one night and I started taking long, deep breaths. And I was like, I might've not fallen asleep, but I was really relaxed. And so I started exploring like, what is this, this, this thing that I'm doing? And so I started doing it more and more and I started exploring it like the longer the breath. And then I started, you know, really like entering into deep meditative states where I'd close my eyes and I'd see black. Do you really want to hear this? This is this absolutely like, okay, I so mean, I, I thought of other questions I wanted to talk about, but this is so much better. Like, because I'm just completely in awe because that is a true gift to be able to be aware of that at such a young age Eight. of like nine. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember a couple of fond memories. I think, I mean, it would take some kind of meditation to remember some kind of things like that. But to, to hear you talk about how you had this un undiagnosed um, thyroid, thyroid um, yeah. undiagnosed and you were able to to have that self-confidence at such a young age to be like hmm, I'm gonna try this and you know I just this medicine this pill just doesn't resonate with me like I drove my parents please continue talking about this this is awesome so yeah I'll never forget the meditation that I came up with so anyway so this but this built over many many nights and you and I again privately can also like delve deeper into what I did because it was really fascinating. I think it's more conversation than yeah. can, you know, can happen in this podcast. But anyway, just, I guess, as succinctly as I can put it, like I remember lying in bed and like I started off with just breath and I was like, I remember that first night didn't have a, I didn't actually really get much sleep that night, but I was very relaxed in the morning just because I just decided all I could do was lie here and breathe. Then that's all I'm going to do. And so I lay there and I breathed. And when I woke up in the morning, I felt significantly improved, even though I hadn't gotten sleep. And I'm like, fascinating. And so I continued exploring it and continued exploring it and decided then what would it look like if I started, uh, like kind of like how you turn, um, how TV can sometimes become background noise to you, like while you were working and it's going on in the background, just can become background noise. Like, like a white would it, So then little by little, yeah. So then little by little, I started to learn, like I started like looking at these crazy, like this crazy, you know, hormone and chemical compote in my body, like that was just like creating this like rushing sensation in my body. Like, what would it be like if I turned it into background noise for myself? So, so that's just, just kind of be, be aware of that. Yeah. Like, so how place more attention on that, like how it was, where it was. So I could put it in the background, kind of like turn the chatter into background noise and operate like myself, my actual present mm -hmm. self operate on top of that. So that becomes background noise. It's ha happening in my body, but there's, a, there's now a separation between what's going on and myself. So now myself and what's going on are, are now differentiated from each yeah. other. 
And so... I, I remember my first experiences of that, but to, to hear that this story that you were nine years old doing this, just keep going, this is cool. Yeah, and so, so, so I started like trying to get into like, I started visualizing black where I could just like, there was nothing there, just my breath and the blackness. I remember the blackness almost looked like stars to me. Like there's, cause it's, when you close your eyes, it's never perfectly black. Mm -hmm. There's always, and so then I remember there was like, then you start to like, if you start to meditate just on the blackness behind your eyes, you actually start to see patterns and, and, and you, it's very patterned actually, almost like mathematical patterns sometimes. Like, like very, a kaleidoscope, correct? Like a kaleidoscope, right? So I started focusing on that kaleidoscope with my breathing. And then that kaleidoscope kind of like morphed into this bird and this bird would take flight. And like, I remember like a, a very like, clearly visual bird that you could see. Visual bird. Yeah. So this is a visualization that I created. So I sorry, I went from breathing to visualization. And so of course, you know, this is all like self-exploration. So I'm like, then I saw this bird that with this wonderful wingspan and I'm watching it as it's flying. And so of course, every night this visualization became more complicated and more sophisticated and more, um, more honed. And so that I could see, it's, you know, it's wings and it's feathers. And in the distance, I, I created like, there was this, this hole, this, this, this hole in the distance that this bird was flying towards. And I would go, I would just watch this bird like fly from the back with its wings flapping towards that hole. And as that bird would get farther and farther away from me, that hole would, be, would get narrower and narrower as the bird flew into the hole. And then finally I got it to the point where the, when the bird would fly through the hole, that's when I would pass out. Like, and that's how I would go into sleep. So I'd enter this deep meditative sleep, this deep meditative rest state, which wasn't truly sleep, it was rest, but I'd wake up- And led to sleeping that I don't even know if in the beginning I actually slept at first. I think I, I was in this like deep state of meditation at first. And that then through that process, I re-educated myself to sleep. I taught myself to sleep again because sleep is a habit. Sleep is not, even though it seems like it should be something that's, um, that's, that's, that's natural to the body. Getting sleep is natural to the body, but, the hab but, the, but sleep in itself is a habit that you can throw yourself into or out of. And some people are more sensitive and some people are less sensitive. Um, but you can actually throw yourself out of the habit of sleep, out of the pattern of sleep. And so I actually learned through that process that you can actually re-educate sleep patterns and sleep behaviors. So you could go from a complete and being a complete insomniac, which is what I was because of my condition, to, to being able to sleep. And so I would enter deep meditative states. And through that process, I taught my brain how to sleep again. And so that's, that was the first thing that I learned. And then the first book that I read that taught me, that made me realize what I was doing was I read, um, I think I was maybe 14, 13 or 14. And I some time just practicing by yourself. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was crazy. And so I read Siddhartha. I don't know if you ever read Siddhartha. It sounds familiar. I've not read it yet. It's the book of the Buddha. Of, um, and it's his life story. And so I'm, you know, I'm reading this book. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I'm doing. It's meditation. <laughs> and that's when I, like, first I was like, what am I? It's like, it was like this, like, oh, this huge epiphany. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. But through that process, yes, but through that process, because I, I, I gained so much control over my mind through that process 
then I started exploring like how much control does the mind have over my body, over my sensations, over my feelings, my, and my personal awareness, which made me kind of weird <laughs> because I was definitely on a plane that was very different than my, my parents and my sister. From, from all your fellow friends and similar. From my friends. And so to associate with my friends at that time, I really had, and then I don't mean this in a condescending way, but I had to like, I'm going to use the term dumb myself down, but I had to dumb myself down. <laughs> but, it, but it didn't mean that my friends were dumb or that other people were dumb, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I had to dumb myself down to be palatable to individuals, to everyone, to be palatable. I had to, at least that's how I felt. I had to dumb myself down. Otherwise, I mean, I don't think any, I was non-relatable otherwise. You, had, you didn't have at the time anybody to really talk to? No one. About it? No, it was like, it was one of the things that I wished for all my life that, you know, once I, you know, realized that I needed a teacher. Yeah. I, the, I, you know what they say. No teacher, no teacher ever came. But you know what they say, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. I guess you just went on some time teaching yourself. Yeah, I've never had a teacher. I've had wonderful, like, you know, gifted individuals along my path who've given me wonderful tools, but I'm still looking for a teacher. Wow. Well, okay, so, so now you're 14, so you, you also recognize that what you were doing was helping push away this illness. Uh, so now, management, yeah. So how did then, so then transition from the breath work and the meditation and the visual, visualization and, and starting to finally learn about books and, and learning more about this, how did that lead you to uh, massage and then craniosacral? Okay, so the other thing that happened to me at nine was that my parents were at a loss as to how to help me. And so this acupuncturist one day walked into their office, into their store and heard them talking about me and he's like, I think I can help her, you know, with acupuncture. So he wasn't going to help me with like the insomnia and stuff, but I had other things going on. Like I had hyperacidity, I had sinusitis. I was like, not a happy camper at nine. And so my parents were like, sure. So he helped me with my, with my sinusitis symptoms and he completely alleviated with acupuncture, my um, reflux completely alleviated it. And so um, I was completely mesmerized I was like that's it I'm going to become an acupuncturist when I grow up I was like so my first idea of what I wanted to do in life was to become an acupuncturist but in the meantime I had to like you know manage myself and get through high school and all of that um, and so I went from like breath work and visualization um, I then went to like I, I learned what that sleep is also medicine breath is medicine and then I learned that food was medicine then I learned that herbs were medicine and I started working with local herbalists in Barbados studying what about is this now so this is in Barbados so I was what, about, what age is this now it was before I left Barbados so I went to Israel when I was 16 so um that's awesome. Think, they, they, you were able. I think to... it was from six. Yeah. So I was like, I did this in the summers when I came home. And then when I came back from Israel to Barbados, I did this. So this was between the ages of like 16 and 19. I started working with like, and even actually maybe even older, like 16 to 20, 2021. Like I was working, you know, off and on during the summers. Like I was doing, you know, work with like local herbalists and yeah and I was really into sustainable medicine and I had this like idea of like you know teaching native medicine like traveling like this was my idea as a teenager this that I would study acupuncture and I wanted to go to medical school also to have a good idea of like understanding of you know western-based medicine but what I really wanted to do was like 
go and study like native plants in, in countries in third world countries and teach people in, in, in third world countries local medicine, native medicine, so that they could help themselves. Like it was all Basically about the stuff that you you came you became aware of that was helping you, you wanted to teach. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to travel because I also love traveling. So the yeah. idea was to be able to like travel, meet people around the world and teach people how to help themselves that, you know, health and wellness are like available to all of us at our fingertips. And that typically the solutions to our problems are right in our and own backyard. Even closer than our fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even closer than our fingertips. Exactly. Totally. And that so many of the solutions are one within us and two right in our backyards. And so, you know, and so of course I love that little book, you know, by Paolo Coelho, the alchemist, like how in the end he finds, you know, he finds the answer for what he was looking for right in his own backyard. So um, anyway, so that was what I had wanted to do. And then um, I met the man that I ended up marrying and he came to Houston when I was 21. And um, well, when I was 20 and then at 21, I followed him to Houston and got married here. And I decided that I would go to medical school, but before I would go to medical school, I decided that I was gonna study massage therapy so that I could be self-employed while I was in medical school. And I ended up studying massage therapy and in the process also becoming finally diagnosed with what was wrong with me, which was Graves' disease is what was wrong. So that's a, uh, a form of hyperthyroidism. So I had Graves' disease. you were still having kind of symptoms? Oh, when I was 21, I was, I was deathly ill. Yes, yes, yes. So I managed the condition, but nothing like, but, but I had a thyroid that I was, that was out of control, but I managed it. So I remember when I walked into the endocrinologist's office, when I arrived to Houston, he took one look at me. He's like, oh my God, you're, you're in, your thyroid's just nuts. He's like, how are you functioning? And so I told him. Yeah, so I'm like, well, I'm meditating. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm eating, I'm eating these foods and I'm meditating and I'm like taking these herbs. He's like, well, do you, he started offering me all these drugs. He's like, well, do you need like drugs to sleep? Because he's like, typically with somebody with thyroid levels like yours, like you have insomnia and anxiety and all these things. I'm like, yeah, I, I learned how to manage that a long time ago. And so he's like, he couldn't believe it. So in the end, I did need to have my thyroid removed, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, and, and I'm going to like long story short, because there's a lot that happened between you know, that moment when I opened, when I became a professional massage therapist, but um, I ended up deciding, I ended up falling in love with massage and decided that I could have like affect as much change and benefit as I could, as I would if I was a medical doctor, mm -hmm. but non-invasively. And as a result today, I, most of my referrals come from doctors, dentists, uh, physical therapists, psychologists, you know, send me their clients. Um, and it reminds because, me, it reminds me of a story you told me about that I'd like you to share later. Uh, sure. about like uh, a gentleman, you said a dentist sent to you regarding the, his tooth. I love that. But continue. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up um, becoming a massage therapist. And many times since then, I've wanted to go back to medical school um, and I still toy with it all the time because I'm like oh my god imagine all the cool things that I could do if I had like more tools at my fingertips um, but at the end of the day like what I really love is at the end of the day the hands-on therapy it's amazing being able to do the hands-on work and to be able to to also empower people who I work with my clients or if you want to call them patients empower them you know 
to, to, to healing themselves. It's really, you know, I'm really a facilitator in the process. And yeah. I love that. No, it's really cool. So then, so the massage, it didn't start out as craniosacral just right away? No, no, no. no. So how I, no, no. So I, I went to massage school here in Texas, which means that you're doing, you're really being taught a pretty much a Swedish massage based program, which is what most people are familiar with when they think of massage It's in, in the West. It's the type of massage that you get at most, you know, massage spas and hotels. Can you explain? It's, so it's just like very simple, like lay down, I'll just massage you or? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not simple. I mean, it's, a, it's an effective massage technique, but it's very, in my opinion, it's, it's basic. It's like, it's, it's foundational. Okay. It's a foundational technique. So it's basically the, the, it's the, the general strokes that you're familiar with in massage, you know, like the okay. long gliding st strokes that are from, that are heart, they're heart directed. So the idea is that you always massage towards the heart for blood flow and, you know, all kinds of things like that. It's, so it's, it's very, it's about, it's about, it's really, it works with muscle, but the body is not just muscle. And also, of course, it, it, it does, you know, it, it focuses on muscle work. And of course, it acknowledges that you're also influencing, you know, the, the vascular system, which is blood and the lymphatic system, which is the lymph. And, you know, it acknowledges that you affect different systems in the body, but it's, it's muscle focused. And it has a series of different techniques that you use to, to, to treat, you know, different types of muscle tension and spasm. And it's a great foundational technique, but there's so much more out there and it's wonderful. So I started with Swedish massage and then I studied Thai massage and went to Thailand and I lived in Thailand for three to four months. I went to the North and I studied um, traditional Thai massage and t traditional Thai reflexology. And it was amazing. I almost didn't come back. I love Thailand so much and I love the North of Thailand, just like spectacular, spectacular beauty and human beings and food. And it was just wonderful. I, you know, if I wasn't married, you might not be having this conversation with me. It was just because I was married that I came back. Um, it was wonderful over there. Um, and then I, you know, continued studying all kinds of things. Um, and one of the things that I, I started to study was craniosacral therapy. But my gateway into medical massage, I mean, do you want me to talk about this? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So my gateway into medical massage. And then please, and then please tie in and explain like, what exactly craniosacral is. Sure. Once you get um, there, but this is, I, I really am enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how, um, so my gateway into medical massage, because at first, you know, when you first graduate from medical school, medical school, massage school, sorry, unfortunately, it's so basic that you're really kind of, unless you're doing, unless your goal is to just do relaxation massages, you're, you're, you're just fumbling along if what you want to do is truly therapeutic work, truly medically, you know, medically sound work. You're fumbling along. Yeah. And, and so anyway, I remember in 2005, I believe it was, I was working with several clients um, and they were complaining of similar symptoms. They were complaining of neck pain and headaches. And I had done everything just right. Like I'd done the head massage and the neck massage and everything that I'd been taught in school and the neck was loose and the head was loose, but they were still having, like everything improved except for their headaches and some very specific head types of pain. I'm like, there are obviously some muscles that I am not paying attention to. There's something I'm missing here. And I, I love playing detective. And so 
I started palpating like their face. And I suddenly realized, I'm like, oh my God, your jaws are insanely tight. It was two clients who I developed a deep level of intimacy with. And I remembered at some point in my career hearing someone say that if you ever want to work on the jaws, you need to work on the inside of the person's mouth. So I said, I asked them for their permission to do that. I was like, can I work on the inside of your mouth? And they're like, yes. And so I dove in and I started to work on the muscles three-dimensionally from the inside of the mouth, from the outside of the mouth. Hmm. And at the end of both of these sessions, just the first one of these sessions, and it was the first time I had done this and I had done this like just purely intuitively together with, you know, my knowledge of anatomy. And both women said, my goodness, my headache has dramatically improved and so many of the symptoms have improved. And I'm like, I think we have something here. So I started studying about head and neck and TMJ. And so I developed my specialization. Which is, which is, is what what's I, that? What is TMJ? So the TMJ is a joint. It's the temporomandibular okay. joint. So this is the, you know, it's the muscles that, you know. Oh, now I remember. Yeah, you were mentioning that to me. Yeah. And so there's a joint right here that, um, that is affected by many things. Some people clench, some people grind, some people's teeth don't meet accurately. Um, some people have, you know, were born with, you know, like, you know, the, you know, the jaw placement a little bit off. There are all kinds of things. Car accidents, whiplash can cause TMJ dysfunction. So it's called, it's called temporal mandibular joint dysfunction. Fascinating. And through this process, I realized that I could help people with all kinds of things, not just, you know, temporal mandibular joint dysfunction, but with headaches and migraines and blurry vision and ringing in their ears and um, balance issues, vertigo. It was amazing. And so the more I did this work, um, the more fascinated I became with, you know, ways that I could improve head and neck conditions. And so then I discovered craniosacral work. And craniosacral work um, was just opened up a whole other avenue for me. So, so I'm going to just another very before to your toolbox, your super, it's like, super belt. Yeah. Like the way I look at it, actually, is like, you know, have you ever seen a painter, like an artist's palette where you can, you squeeze red and blue and green and yellow and white, and then you can take from each color and make new colors. That's how I feel like with all the different like massage techniques that I've learned. Analogy. What's that? It's a beautiful analogy. Yeah, and so I just take from each and I like start, you know, mixing together things and I like work with the client and what and the client's body and the client's energy and their spirit and what resonates and what works. Like we create this like wonderful, you know, painting of, you know, we, we create health. So um, like, so just basically before I talk about craniosacral therapy, I guess people listening to this need to understand that the body is made up of lots of different systems. So we have, you know, the, the mus we have the muscles that help us move. We have the nervous system, we have the vascular system, we have the lymphatic system within the, you know, the muscular system, it's, you have all kinds of different types of connective tissue. So you have, you have tendons, you have ligaments, and then most fascinatingly, we have the fascia. And so fascia recently has now been categorized as its own system with its own nervous system. And it's just fascinating. So, so the fascia, I'm just very- the fascia is, yeah, it's wonderful. I don't know if you, have you ever, what's that? You said it's recently become its own system? Yeah, so you have like the muscles and the blood, mm -hmm. yes, where once upon a time it was just considered to be kind of like a type of connective tissue that, that it's kind of like the, it, what, what fascia is, it's the cellophane of the body. It's what wraps everything and holds it in place of it. Yeah. Wraps, you know, bundles of cells to groups of cells to entire, like to the, you know, just, you know, just keeps wrapping you up, it holds mm -hmm. us together. 
And so now it's been, it's been, you know, determined that it's its own system. It's not just the cellophane, but it's its own system. And so in order, in my opinion, to be a really good massage therapist, you know, truly good medical massage therapist, you really need to have tools in your toolbox to work on every one of these systems. And, and, um, and they all work together. All these systems work together, but you have to learn how to work with them also individually. Fascinating. And so that's what craniosacral therapy is. So craniosacral therapy works with the nervous system. And um, it turned out, the course turned out to be, I worked with, I studied with the Upledger Institute, which is one of the schools for, um, for studying craniosacral therapy. It's not the only school, but it's one of the schools. And it's the most popular school that massage therapists typically take courses with. And um, basically, the idea is that, you know, our entire body, you know, has, you know, our nerves run, you know, from our brain through our, you know, from the base of our skull, through our spine, out our spine, and, you know, to every part of our body is, every part of our body is innervated and receives this information. And that nervous system, just like the vascular system or the lymphatic system has a rhythm to it. It has a pulse to it. And just like with the heart, you know, when you go into a doctor's office, the doctor listens to your heart to see how healthy you are, right? Mm -hmm. If something's, you know, if something's off with your heartbeat, the doctor can determine that there is something wrong and then we'll do further tests. The same thing with your nervous system. Your nervous system has a pulse to it. And through craniosacral therapy, you can actually feel that pulse. And just like you can with the, you know, the vascular system, you can actually put your you know, hand to your heart, you can feel it beating. You can put your, you know, you can feel your you know, fingers to your pulse and feel the pulse beating if you've been running. We ourselves you know, can actually do you know, very simple self-diagnosis. You know, it's like when I'm relaxed, my pulse is slow and it has this many beats per minute. You know, um, when I'm running, it has this many beats per minute. If I'm healthy, this is how many beats per minute. It, or, I don't know how it's measured per second it has I don't again I'm not that's not my area I don't know how many how you know what it's supposed to be but you know if I'm healthy this is what it should be like and if I'm not healthy this is what it should be like and then if you study Chinese medicine the Chinese medicine doctors can actually put their finger on your pulse and tell what's wrong in your entire body with organs what kind of diseases you have it's amazing and so with craniosacral therapy you're taught to do that with the nervous system so I'm you know with craniosacral therapy you're taught what is the normal pulse of the nervous system at different points along the body and then you're taught to, to sense when something is off and if something is off you're given tools in order to to work with that and so what's fascinating about craniosacral therapy is unlike other types of massage therapy and other types of massage therapy i Brigida, am the leader of the massage i guide the massage i find out what the intention of the client is and then using my palpation skills, feeling what's going on with the client, hearing what it is that's going on with them, I determine what kind of massage we're going to do. And I become the leader of that massage session. In craniosacral therapy, it's very, very different. And it took me a long time to, get, to become good at craniosacral therapy because it was a whole different approach to massage. Because in craniosacral therapy, the body is the guide. So I simply become, I simply, be, I kind of almost take a back seat to the body and I let the body do the driving. And so basically I'll, I'll find a place where I, I first do an assessment on the body where I feel the pulse at different points along the body. So I basically kind of more to, like a, a Reiki approach. Kind of, but it's very, it's very different from Reiki, but, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but from that perspective, yes. 
Okay. You know, with Reiki, you kind of feel what's going on at the different, different stations along the body. Yeah. And then you start to do the work and it's guided by the person's body. Yes. But Reiki works with the, with the person's, you know, I guess, energetic self. Which, and I have to say, sometimes I will combine Reiki with craniosacral therapy very, very often. I don't, a lot of times I, you know, take, go to my painter's palette and I take Reiki and I take craniosacral and I, and I, you know, and I work with them together. Um, and so with craniosacral, you'll first, you know, do an assessment on the body at different, you know, different stations, see what's going on, see what's coming up. A lot of times it can happen that what the client wants to work on and what I want to work on is very different than what the body says needs to be worked on. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, I was sure this is what we're going to do today. And the body's like, mm -mm, you're going to be working on this. And so I just have to then go to where it's telling me to work and I hang out there. And then I simply allow the tissues to do what they need to do. And I get, and I continuously take information from the nervous system and it's like a feedback system like i get information from the nervous system it takes information from me is, is this and I'm similar working... to when you're when you're i mean because i've experienced a little bit but i'd like to hear like what happens in the session when you have the hands behind the head is that similar to like when you're feeling through yes absolutely so like when i can i talk about when i worked with you or is yeah. that personalizing it too much no no go ahead yeah so like when i worked with you so it's like my hands because what we were doing was very very head-based and so when I was working with you, you know, I'd get my hands right behind your, your skull and I'd start assessing. I started with assessing the movement of that craniosacral rhythm is what it's called, that craniosacral rhythm at your skull. And so, um, so what I was looking for was where are there areas of dysfunction? Like where's the craniosacral rhythm not moving smoothly? And, you know, and, and, and then I just hang out. I find where it's not moving, moving smoothly. And then I just wait. And so what happens, it's really fascinating. Our, body is, our bodies are very, they're perfect. They know what, the, our body knows what it needs. But sometimes it can't quite do what it needs to do sometimes. Just like any piece of equipment, even your computer. It knows it's a very intelligent machine, but sometimes something's a little bit off. Sometimes it requires shutting the machine down, starting it back up. Sometimes it just requires a little tweaking. Same thing with our body. Sometimes it requires just a little tweaking, a little wake-up call. And all that sometimes is, all that is required sometimes is a small touch in an area of dysfunction to tell the nervous system, focus here. This is what needs to, to happen. And so as soon as I feel there's dysfunction, which is what the body leads me to, I'll simply touch that area. And then the body starts to do the work. And so, for example, if there is, you know, tissue that's very contracted, it's tight, it's shortened, um, it's adhered, scarring, what will happen next is that tissue, I can feel that tissue start moving underneath my fingertips. The tissue starts to move. And I, with very little, with very little pressure, and sometimes it's not even pressure, like physical pressure, sometimes it's just intention, I join the ride, like the, 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 the body start, the tissue starts to move and I simply follow it. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's kind of like when you put a boat in water, right? If you put a boat in water at the seashore. Oh, kind of like the, surfing, but yeah, go ahead. Or surfing, yeah, I've never surfed. What, there you go. So the board, even if you were not on the board and a wave takes it, the board would ride the wave without you being there. 
But while, when you're on that board, you can apply slight, you know, little bits of pressure, mm -hmm. just, you know, changes like, you know, like directional changes to that board. And that board will suddenly start going in the direction that you want it to go, but being guided the entire time by the ocean. There's no, there's no, there's no way that you can say that the, the wave is not propelling and, and driving the motion of the, not creating the motion of the, of the board, it's driving the motion of that board, but you are, you're guiding it with little nuances. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's the same you're thing dancing. as being a sacral therapy. What's that? You're dancing with it. You're dancing with it. Yes, yes, yes. And so like, it starts to go. And so I start following it, start following. It, and I can like, it's a really amazing when it starts to move or it starts to dance. And then I simply with little bits of prep, with little bits of force, sometimes more, sometimes less, and sometimes with none, so purely intention, I follow it and I help guide it, help facilitate. I give it just a little bit more of what it needs to do what it has to do. And then it stops. It's really amazing. It'll stop and it'll be like, okay, I'm done. And then I'll come back and measure it. And I'll be like, ah, it's really good. And then you would give me feedback and you'd be like, I feel so much better now. I felt that. No, I remember I was like a um, one instant or experience, I don't remember which number it was, because obviously some of it takes some time. It's not a, a quick fix, although you yeah. do have some stories with some quick fixes. Yeah. Um, but it was, to me, it felt like it was a, a river, and then there was a big rock that was just blocking the flow. And I was I remember telling you one time, it just felt like you lifted up that rock, and I can just feel more flow go through. So... Yeah, and it's really amazing. It's like, you know, because it doesn't feel like I'm doing much back there. <laughs> but, but afterwards, you're like, you know, and once you get, you know, allow yourself to settle in to the, to the experience, you're like, I feel better. Like, you can feel like you can, at the moment where I feel like change has occurred, you're like, wow, what just happened? <laughs> and, and some clients are sensitive enough to feel the entire process. Some clients, like, I think there were even times where you were like, oh, my God, I can, I can really feel that. Like, I can feel how things are moving and rushing mm -hmm. around. So that's craniosacral therapy and you can do it. You don't have to just do it at the head. You can do it anywhere in the body. My favorite place to work from is the head, but you can do it anywhere in the body and it's wonderful. And many times clients are like, you know, is this, you know, is this snake oil? Is this just made up? You know, is it just, you know, are you, are you, are you just a very good, are you very good at convincing me of this? Like, no, absolutely not. And then in those moments, I'll teach clients to feel the craniosacral rhythm themselves. I'm like, I can teach you how to feel this. And so it doesn't seem like I'm just, you know, full of hooey and making it up. <laughs> wow. But so, yeah. And it's been, I think you told me once 20 years now. Yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. It's very impressive. And thanks for I felt like it was really cool. You were bringing us a little story of your childhood and learning different types of meditation, breath work and massage and all the way to the past 20 years of now becoming, improving and constantly cultivating the, the different, like you mentioned, uh, colors on your um, board. My painter's palette, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And, and improving that and, and now you have well, now you're able, you're not only growing and improving your skills, but the different people that you're seeing. And <laughs> no, it, it shows yeah. the, the skills that you have. But like I said, it was, it was really cool just how you, you brought, you kind of told a little story to me about, you know, growing up about that. And yeah. so, wow. And, and, and honestly answered a lot of different things 
that I wanted to ask about craniosacral, it just, you know, we just flowed that way. I yeah. love how work out. Can you share that short story about like um, how it even helps with dental work and somebody with a, you mentioned had like a tooth issue and then the dentist had no idea what else to do and he sent somebody to you. Okay, so I don't know specifically because I've had a lot of stories. I have a lot of referrals from dentists, but the story that comes to my mind, I don't know if this was the exact same one, but I have a lot of dentists who refer clients to me. But I had this one client who um, came to me just for a regular massage, but in the middle of the massage, um, started complaining of tooth pain. And this is tooth pain that had plagued him for some time. And he went from dentist to dentist, actually, trying to figure out what was wrong. And no doctor could figure out what was wrong with the tooth. And so while he's telling me this story, I'm thinking, I think I can help with this. And so finally, when he finished talking, I was like, I was like, I think I can help you with your tooth. If you don't mind, I'm going to put, you know, touch your tooth. <laughs> and um, he said, sure, not a problem. And so I, you know, did craniosacral therapy for his tooth. And I told him, I was like, don't tell me what tooth is bothering you. I was like, don't tell me. And so I went and like felt different teeth. And I could feel that the rhythm, the craniosacral rhythm was off at this one tooth. And I was like, is this a tooth? He's like, yes, that's the exact tooth. I'm like, okay, great. And so I started like doing craniosacral work on the tooth. And what it turned out was that the tooth was just slightly, like it had been, like the way it felt to me is that it was slightly twisted and pushed up. So basically the tooth was slightly out of alignment, just out of alignment enough that it was, cre it was creating a pull on the tissues around it, which was affecting the nerve and causing pain. By the time I finished, his tooth pain was gone. Well, his tooth pain, I, didn't, I forgot to mention, was so painful that he, was, he had gone shopping around looking for dentists that would agree to remove a healthy tooth. And he finally found one that would remove a healthy tooth. And he was going to go see this doctor the next day. And so that's when I said to him, I was like, before you remove a healthy tooth, I said to him, I was like, would you let me work on you? And by the time we finished a few minutes later, he's like, oh my God. He's like, my tooth pain is totally gone. That's and awesome. yeah, it was really awesome. So I don't know if that was the story. or Yeah, the, I think it sounds very similar, especially the end of it, the end part that you mentioned. Wow, yeah. this has been a lot of fun. And I really yeah. hope you can, I, I, I'm excited to go home sometime soon and, and see you maybe even get a massage. But, and I also want to learn more about the different things that, you've experienced and, and, and read and maybe learned from uh, to hopefully, you know, add to my uh, painter's palette as I'm, you know, I'm starting out and, you know, have a little bit of experience and different skills, but, you know, very open to, to learning new things because it's so much fun. And when you explain it in a way, not only as you did with the, the story, but when you explain it in in a childlike way of like, you know, this is my painter's palette and I have more paints to, to paint a picture as in a way of explaining how to heal somebody. And because we're all very individualized, it's just, it's been so much fun. So before we kind of end, what has this whole process of, you know, self-exploration, but also self-exploration in the form of how I, you can help other people not only manage the pain but heal it um taught you about life and and things to pass to your kids and and even to um people my age 20s tw uh, in their 20s uh you know any 
I would love to hear any kind of lessons you really learned just now looking back at it and by who the different people you're able to take care of and the everything. It's awesome. Okay. So succinctly, gosh, I mean, what I've learned, you know, in my, I mean, I've got so much more to learn, but what I've learned up till now is that to be gentle, be gentle on ourselves. And cause I find that we're very hard on ourselves and we're very hard on others. Um, to listen to your own wisdom. Like I did when I was nine, cause I could have like succumbed. I could have been like, okay, doctor sees nothing wrong with me. You know, then this is all made up and it's all in my head. No, we, we have, we have listened to our inner voice. We have wisdom and um, that none of us are perfect. We're all on a journey and to be kind. I know this sounds, you know, was probably very, um, was probably maybe not as deep as you want it, but this is really what I've learned is to be kind, be gentle, be kind with yourself, be gentle with yourself, get in touch with yourself, listen to your voice. Our voice is so is so powerful and it's so true. And it's, and it's interesting because most of us are not used to listening to our voice. And as a result, our voice is actually a foreign sound to us. And so what I would ask of people is to little by little get used to listening to that little voice within ourselves. That voice um, speaks so much truth about what's good for us and what's bad for us. Kind of like that little girl that I was when I was nine. I was like, that medicine isn't good for me. I could feel that, um, that vibration of it. And we all can feel that. That's not unique to me. It, it takes, have... it, I, I, I want to jump in quickly. It takes practice to build that takes... kind of like a muscle. So do you have any tips in, uh, in suggesting how to build that uh, intuition kind of skill? Because I've learned yeah. is it, it, myself at a young age being very self-aware, but it's a, it's a skill you have, a muscle you have to build to listen. Absolutely. Um... Gosh, I guess the first one I would say is, is start a practice of, of quiet. Um, I know that for some people, because we're such a fast paced world, asking somebody to do that a lot of times intimidates them. So usually what I tell people is to just take one minute to do that. Uh, because it's interesting, just taking one minute of breathing, which is not very long, you'll find that once you set the alarm clock, for one minute, by the time you finish and the alarm clock goes off, you're like, what, a minute has passed and soon you'll go from a minute, two minutes to five minutes, to 10 minutes to an hour. It just gets easier and easier. But what's important about that taking breath, it's like it slows you down enough to hear yourself. That's one that's important. Two, we all have that voice. And I'll just, if I can, I um, just add, just say something here is that we can all, we all feel energy. Um, and then, I'm, I guess I'm bringing something new into this conversation, so I'm sorry that I'm bringing something new in at this end, at the end of our conversation. But um, when we're in a space, for example, and let's say we're in a party and we're having a wonderful time, sometimes you feel something suddenly, like suddenly something feels different and you look up and you see a person has walked into the room. And you're like, wow, that person walked into the space and all of a sudden the energy changed. And you became very aware of that energy shifting and all of us have experienced that. Like, this person walked in. It doesn't mean that they're good or bad. I'm not passing judgment on that person. But when that person walked in, they changed the energy of the room. And sometimes it could be that when they came in the room, it could take a, a dead party and suddenly make it really alive just by their presence there. Or somebody else walks into the room. Person. What's that? 
the life of the party person. Yes, the life of the party person or that other person who walks in the room, everything's great, they walk into the room, all of a sudden everybody goes quiet and it feels like the energy has been zapped out of the place. And all of us have, have felt that. And that's not because anything happened. All that happened was a, certain, a person walks into the room, whether you know them or not, and all of a sudden you can feel that energy shift. And so what I'm gonna ask everybody to do is to become mindful when they feel something. Because that feeling that you have is real. It's your voice. It's your inner voice. We have an energetic self that both informs us of what goes on within ourselves and both informs us of what happens outside of ourselves, like little feelers, like little antenna that can feel what's going on both internally and externally. And most of us, we, we experience it. We receive information from that all the time, but we're not aware of where that information is coming from. And that's what I call our little voice. And as we get used to listening to that voice, we're able to perceive more and more information that's coming in. Yeah. And so it requires listening and being also a little bit, you know, taking quiet moments with ourselves. So, Thanks for sharing that. That's a great, uh, yeah. that's a great very impractical advice to, to implement and to be more aware of and to be aware that we are aware. <laughs> right. So, wow, thank you so much for coming on, taking, um, it took us some time to find good yes. time to, uh, to have this, but I'm so happy that we did. And it, as always, it happens at the right time. So thank you so much. And my last question for you is, what is the gift that you'd like to share with the world? Oh my gosh, the gift that I would like to share with the world. I mean, I feel like I'm already sharing my gift with the world, which is the gift of, of touch and loving touch. Um, that's, that's really it, is loving touch. And I think more importantly, actually bigger than that, is allowing people to realize that they are perfect and wonderful within themselves. Is that everything that they need is within them and they are just, because we spend so much of our time looking externally for, for things to make us wonderful and for validation that we're wonderful. But what is the most important thing when I have people on the table is for them to reconnect with themselves and realize how amazingly perfect and wonderful they are and how amazingly perfect and wonderful their body is i think that's it and so yeah through the work that i do i'm you know it's like i feel like i'm, I'm one of the most blessed people on the planet you know by being able to do what i do awesome yeah <laughs> how, how can people get a hold of you and your uh, business if they'd like to if they're in the area if they just want to connect with you and learn more about cabana Sure. So um, my business is um, Kavana. I'm, changed it. I'm changing it from Kavana Healing Arts Spa to Kavana Wellness Spa. And um, Kavana is spelled with a K, so it's K-A-V-A-N-A. -A. And um, my new website is going to go live very, very soon. Um, yeah, and it's going to be kavanaspa.com. And my office, um, you can reach us either by email or by phone. And my email is info at Kavana with a cake, info at kavanaspa.com. And my number is 713-703-8796. Uh, 713-703-8796, and that's our phone number. You can like us on Facebook. We don't have an Instagram page yet, but everybody keeps telling me that I need an Instagram <laughs> account. Um, but for now, we're on Facebook. And if you want to connect directly with me, you can find me at a D A D Y. And my last name is Brigida, B is in boy, U-R-G-I-D-A. And you can reach me out um, on Facebook. So happy to answer any questions, connect, work on you. I also have wonderful massage therapists who work in my office. 
that I train and are also gifted healers. And I'm about to, I've opened two new satellite locations since you've, since you've um, last seen me. One is in WeMed, um, which is at 59 in Westland. It's an acupuncture clinic. And so it's gonna be really fun. So it's gonna be an opportunity for me to practice a lot more integrative medicine. So it's going to be massage and um, acupuncture. And he specializes also in um, stem cell therapy, which is really exciting. And then the other location is going to be at the core, which is happens to also just be by 59 and I think around Newcastle. And so it's a large fitness facility that also kind of has an integrative wellness approach. And so we're going to be providing massage therapy for them. But I am at my location. If you want to see me specifically, I'm at... Um, my office is at 4003 Beller Boulevard, Sweet EE. So I look awesome. forward to seeing people. <laughs> all the information. I want to check out the new uh, offices and uh, especially like the stem cell therapy and even that gym that you were talking about. So yeah. again, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and I look yeah. forward to seeing you in person soon. Yay. Yes, we have to go to coffee. Promise you'll call me when you get to town. We'll go to coffee sometime. Okay, sounds good. Okay, talk huh? to you later. <laughs>